0: I want you to think about maybe a unique place that God has given you an opportunity to share the gospel, and it may have been just very briefly. Uh, but if you can think of a unique place, and uh, unfortunately, I don't have time for a whole testimony. But you may say, um, you know, on a ski lift, or you know, on horseback riding, or whatever it may be. Think about that for a minute. So last night, as I got to the uh, Austin airport after the wedding, uh, I. Flight was supposed to leave at 6.11 p.m., and uh, just as I was about to check in, I got a text saying, your flight's been delayed, it's going to leave at 7.45, uh, not get into Atlanta until 11 p.m., so I thought, well, I've got, you know, time to kill, and uh, so sat there at the gates and plugged in my laptop and signed into Wi-Fi and started doing some, some work and uh, making sure I was ready for today. On the other side of this, you know, uh, seating area was a young man, and he sat there as well, and he started uh, looking at his phone, and, and we were about that far apart. I mean, it was pretty close, and so, you know, I'd look up, and he'd, he'd look up, and we'd kind of smile, and, you know, we'd continue, and in a few minutes, he walked away, but then he kind of glanced back, and he said, can you, can you watch my bag? I'm going to, yeah, I'll, I'll watch your bag. So he, he went and then came back, um, and then a little bit later, he had to go do something else. He said, can you, can you watch my bag? And said, yeah, I've got your bag. Well, eventually, we started talking, and our gait was changed, but I don't, I don't think he had heard that, so... Um, I knew the gate was changed, but I was still working, so I, I thought, well, I'll just wait a little bit later to walk down to the different gate, and in the end, it was just the two of us at the gate, and so I thought, I don't think he knows that, you know, our gate has changed, so I asked him, I said, are you going to Atlanta? He said, yeah. I said, well, we're, we're at gate 8 now, not gate 10. We have to go to gate 8. He was a little confused. Uh, soon, you know, it was... It was it became clear that his English wasn't 100%. Uh, he understood a lot of what I said, but uh, I had to speak a little slower. And uh, so I made sure, you know, why don't you come with me? And so we walked down to gate 8 and uh, then discovered as uh, we were at gate 8, we ended up sitting at the same table then and continue to talk now. And uh, he's from Nepal and has been in Austin for a little while, headed back to Nepal for a month and a half or so. Uh, after the Atlanta flight, he was going to fly to Seoul, Korea, which he did through the night, and then get another flight in Seoul, Korea to finish his flight to Nepal. But through that, his name is uh, Samrat. And uh, as Samrat and I were talking, I got to learn a little bit about his country. I got to learn a little bit about why he was in Austin and who else was in Austin. And he knew how many brothers he had. Uh, but then also to talk about Christ and uh, ask him, you know, what's re- some of the major religions in Nepal and how his family had grown up. And um, he, he said, well, I have an aunt and uncle who are a Christian um, and, and they go to church. So I, I understand church. I said, well, have you ever been, you know, to church? Uh, and he said, "No, no, no. I've never, never been with him." I said, "Have you ever read the Bible at all?" He said, "No, no, nope, never read the Bible." Uh, but I was able to share a little bit about Jesus Christ saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And I gave him a, a One Hope Church card. I don't know if he'll ever make it through Atlanta to stay. He came through the airport. Uh, but then also tried to connect him with my brother's ministry there in Austin. Uh, so pray for Sam Roth, if you would. And uh, he's going to be in Nepal for about a month and a half. And then coming back to Austin is his plan. But I was, that was exciting. I was thankful for that opportunity. Uh, I don't know if that was one reason that God caused the, our flight to be delayed, uh, but certainly very thankful for that opportunity. So now you. Quickly, what's a unique place that God has given you an opportunity to uh, be the light of the world and reflect Jesus Christ as the light of the world? Hospital. Who said that? Okay, Kim, your wife, (laughs) me, (laughs) and we haven't seen each other often the last week and a half, so (laughs) yes, you are my wife, yeah, the hospital, okay, where else, at the landfill, that's good, Dan hangs her out at the dump, you know, so hey, that's all right, good, at the landfill, where else, oh, an express train, Fantastic. Hey, we got a little bit of time. Let's go. Where else? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord, Wayne. Good. Where else? On a running track and Murphy says, I don't run. So <laughs> did you have to run to build a witness? Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> He gives you the strength of life. (laughs) Good. Amen. How about this? How about in a public bathroom? Not usually a place you would think of for somebody to witness, right? So on the way out to Austin in the Atlanta airport walked into the men's restroom and as soon as I walked in one of the maintenance guys is standing there he'd already done his job you know and cleaning and everything with the papers there everything was set so he had a little bit of a break and he was standing there and as everybody walked in this man continued to say hey welcome to ATL Jesus loves you welcome to ATL I'm glad you're here Jesus loves you Jesus loves you man and he just kept saying it again and again I was like wow this is awesome. I mean, I, I, I don't think I've ever witnessed in a public restroom, but he was, he was witnessing. And then towards, you know, a little bit, uh, a few seconds later, uh, he said, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about Muhammad. It's not about, you know, all, any, anybody else. It's not about the Pope. It's about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died for you. Welcome to ATL. Jesus loves you. And you'd be amazed at how many people were smiled at that and said, man, God bless. Thank you. Thank you. And then as I walked out, I handed him a card and I said, listen, I'm a pastor and I really appreciate what you're doing. And he got a big smile on his face and he said, hey, it's my calling. It's my calling. Amen. Amen. And that is what Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Uh, he, it's, it wasn't just a claim to be God. We saw two weeks ago. It wasn't just a fulfillment of prof- prophecy, but it was a call to be Followed. And that's exactly what this man was doing, the public restroom and part of his job. Thank God he still has a job. I'm surprised he hasn't been fired for doing that. But he, he is over and over again. Jesus loves you. Welcome to ATL. And may God use us in a similar way to be the light of the world and reflect Jesus Christ. Let's look back in John chapter eight. Two weeks ago, we looked at why is Christ's claim to be the light of the world so important? It is a claim to be God, the great I am of the Old Testament. It's a culmination of Old Testament prophecies. It is a call to be followed. And then let's overlap again. We've answered this question in one way, but I want to look at kind of the second part or the other bookend of John chapter 8 to answer the question how does the light of the world function? How does the light of the world function? The light of the world penetrates spiritual darkness, spiritual darkness by revealing your separation from God. And we looked at the passage in the beginning of John 8, the woman who was caught in adultery. Jesus, you know, very quickly penetrated the spiritual darkness of the accusers, um, did not celebrate the sin of the woman, uh, but knew her heart, knew that she was repentant and said, you know, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. So not only did he penetrate the spiritual darkness of her accusers and even pointed out, yes, you were in sin, but he also offered restoration. So that's kind of the beginning. That's one bookend. On the other side of John 8, in John chapter 9, uh, we see a story. And we're at, I want you to actually turn in your Bibles. The passage is really uh, long, so I didn't think it would be best to have it up on the screen. So either on your phone or in your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 9. We're going to read through this. I'm going to make some comments. But it's interesting how this claim, I am the light of the world, is in the middle of these two stories that serves as a great foundation, the the woman caught in adultery, and then the blind man who is healed in John chapter 9 to reinforce Jesus' claim that I am the light of the world. Let's start in John chapter 9 and verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, this is interesting, okay? Pay attention. Disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And I find this very interesting because you and I, as humans, our justice system usually works on some type of uh, idea like this. If we're a pretty good person, if we treat others fairly, you know, pretty nicely, we show kindness, we're fairly honest, then we deserve to have a, a, a life, for the most part, free of suffering, free of hardship, and just have a good, peaceful, fairly successful life. Most of us, whether we verbalize that or not, that's what we like to think is fair, and what we like to think, this is how life should work. So Jesus corrects the disciples' distorted view here of human suffering because their first thought is, hmm, this man's blind. Somebody must have sinned. Something must, they, they must have done something to deserve the, the fact that now this man is blind. And Jesus says, no, not actually. This man didn't sin. And he wasn't saying this man was free from sin. He wasn't saying he was sinless or that his parents were sinless. But in essence, he was correcting their distorted view in in the sense that, no, this man isn't blind as like punishment, specific punishment for something he did or that his parents did. Rather, this man is blind so that the works of God can be manifest in him. Now we continue on. We must work work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no no one can work. And then in John chapter nine and verse five, As long as I am in the world, I am what? The light of the world. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And then notice this. So he went. All right, what's so big about that? Well, remembering, Jesus has said once again, he said this already in John chapter eight, he says again in John chapter nine, I am the light of the world. So yes, it is a claim to be God. There's an undeniable claim of his divinity of saying that yes, I'm equal with the great I am of the Old Testament, it's fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, but it is a call to be followed. And right after he tells this blind man, I am the light of the world in the the presence of his disciples, then he calls upon this man to do something. The man having not seen this, he's still blind, remember. He's got, the, you know, he's, he's got this mud mixture on his eyes, but he hasn't seen Jesus yet. And now Jesus is telling him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And he obeys. He's not even a true believer yet. But it's important to, to note that Jesus claims to be the I Am, the great I Am of the Old Testament, uh, the, the Jehovah, the Yahweh, And now he's saying, basically, I'm telling you something to do. Obey, follow, do what I'm I'm telling you to do. So he went, washed, and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but, but he is like him. He kept saying, the blind man in essence kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had, been formerly, blind, who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And in the religious elite world, that was a big deal. Should Jesus have done this? You know, was it, was it work that he mixed his spit with the mud? You know, was that, was that a violation of our traditions and, and what we think should happen on the Sabbath? So that's an interesting fact. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. I mean, already, John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we're beginning to see really who's blind here. And the Pharisees, those who are responding this way, they're showing their spiritual darkness. They're showing their spiritual blindness and just say, this man's not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So, so they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? Since he has opened your eyes, he said, he's a prophet. So again, this man doesn't have a full understanding of who Jesus is, but he knows for sure, I was blind, but now I see. And so he says, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he'd been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who'd received his sight. Then in verse 19, and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know. Who opened his eyes? Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Now notice the the comment that John makes here. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Jesus penetrates the spiritual darkness. He reveals our sin and separation from God. But yet, in this passage, those who were spiritually blind, they've already threatened to to throw others and to separate others from them, a completely distorted understanding of of the gospel and of Jesus and his work. Uh, But this is the context. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. Now, it appears that this phrase was used almost kind of like, do you swear on this? Are you telling the truth? You know, tell the truth before God. So give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And then the blind man, he answered and said, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You get a little bit of sarcasm here. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? I I appreciate his boldness. I mean, he's not even a true believer yet, but God's working in his heart and has done a miracle in his life. Like, I've I've told you this. You want to hear it? You want to become his disciples? Notice the response. John chapter 9 and verse 28. And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the the more they talk, the more that Christ is using the testimony of this healed blind man, who isn't even a true believer yet, but who is already showing through his testimony their spiritual darkness, their sin, their separation from God, And it's becoming just so, so clear. Uh, We know that God has spoken to Moses, but we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, why? Uh, The man answered, why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, He could do nothing. Now notice what they do. When confronted with this, when confronted with the light of the world, the power of Jesus Christ, who's claiming to be the Messiah, who's claiming to be Yahweh and Jehovah of the Old Testament, they said this. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? In other words, how dare you? Who do you think you are? Do, Do you not know? I mean, we're disciples of Moses. We're the Pharisees. How dare you speak to us like this? You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And then this is key, and they cast him out. Get out of the synagogue. We don't want, we don't want to hear you anymore. We've already answered and, and told us your story. Get out. Now, John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, this, I believe this will be on the screen. John 3, 19 through 21, it says this, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So the Pharisees who questioned this former blind man, they didn't want to see the light. They weren't, they weren't truly seeking after, you know, what is truth and who is this man? Wow, wow, what an amazing thing. No, they, they wanted to continue in their spiritual blindness. Now, I love after they cast him out, notice what Jesus does. So he's already revealed the Pharisees, especially those who react in this way, their, their sin, their separation, uh, their spiritual darkness. But now he offers restoration to this blind man even after he's been cast out. So he offers restoration. Follow again with me in John chapter nine, now in verse 35. And this will be up on the screen also. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, can, can you just say with me amen? They, so Jesus knew these Jews, these, this religious elite, the group that should have just been all around him and excited and celebrating this miracle and celebrating that this guy could now see. Instead, they're questioning him. They're calling uh, you know, him just a, a, a reprobate, basically telling him, you know, why in the world would you speak to us? Get out of here. But then Jesus goes and finds him. He knows what's happened, but he goes and finds him. And he says, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? So that's how we know that up to this point, he's been healed. He believes that Jesus is a prophet. He believes that Jesus is certainly sent from God. But all about Jesus and is he really God? This man saying, you know, tell me, who is the son of man? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And then the man's reaction He said, Lord, I believe. And then he did what? And worshiped him. This is evidence quickly, already soon after his belief, he's already showing evidence of worship. It's not just a head knowledge, it's not just a, oh great, now I can see physically, but he is, he's worshiping the, 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 the Savior, the great I am, and he's saying, okay, I do, I believe now, not that just you're a prophet, not that you just did a miracle for me, but I believe your claim to be the Son of Man, which was another term for God. Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees Near him heard these things and said to him Are we also blind? So Jesus said to them If you were blind you would have no guilt but now that you say we see your guilt remains. Again Jesus is showing I mean his light has just exposed their spiritual darkness and nothing can be said against that. They they of course don't agree. And are are livid, but Jesus is showing them, "You you, you say you can see, you say you're the disciples of Moses and all these things, but you are spiritually blind. This man who is physically blind, also spiritually blind for a time, but now he believes in me and he worships. Jesus offers restoration for God or with God. Son of man, that, that term, he often used the term son of man to refer to himself. Uh, this was a, a really powerful reminder. We see in Philippians how Christ humbled himself, even in John chapter 1, how he took upon himself uh, the form of man, he took upon himself the flesh and, uh, and lived a sinless life. When the guy asked, who is he, sir? Sir is also translated as Lord or Master, in other translations. So he still sees Jesus at this point as someone superior to him, but he doesn't know exactly uh, the full meaning. Uh, He believed that Christ had been a prophet, you know, sent from God, but not Messiah. And then eventually, uh, through the work of the Lord and his response and faith, uh, he believes and then worships. John chapter 1 and verse 4 and 5 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not not overcome it. So in Jesus, in the I am, the light of the world, in him was life and the lights of men. So Christ, the light of the world, he offered light and life to the adulterous woman, even though she had accusers that wanted to stone her and kill her. Uh, Jesus was there and penetrated the spiritual darkness of her accusers. Showed that, yes, she's a sinner, but offered redemption, restoration, that's the first book in. then in John chapter 9, after uh, the statement, and even after a second statement, I am the light of the world, he shows through this story, uh, showing the spiritual darkness, but then offering restoration again. Now let's look also, what, what else, is, how does he function? The light of the world illuminates your world more clearly. The light of the world illuminates your world more clearly. So first and foremost, we, we must understand through Scripture, through the person of Jesus Christ, through the message of the gospel, I am a sinner. There's nothing I can do to, to earn my way and to earn my favor with God. Once I, like the blind man, believe that Jesus is the Son of Man, that He is God, He is the great I Am, then we should allow Him to illuminate all the areas of our life. Not just where I'm going to spend eternal destiny, not just who my Savior is, but Then, how does that affect my life? So first of all, you are a steward of your mind, body, and life, not a soul owner. You're a steward of your mind, body, and life, not a soul owner. So let's let's start with your mind, your thoughts. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. One of the men this morning posted this on the the men's group, um, and it was a blessing. Some of these verses here in Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Then, then notice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. If, if we aren't living in light of that truth, then as humans, man, we are great at, be, at, worry, at worrying. We are great worriers We don't have to train for that. We just have this natural ability to be anxious and fearful as long as we allow the the darkness of the world to kind of rule our life. But when we look to God and we we give our request to him, then the truth in Philippians is uh, the peace of God, the next verse, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As we continue to allow Him to illuminate our mind and our thoughts, notice what else is going to happen in verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. And imagine with me, imagine with me in a way how Jesus is the light of the world and the light of His gospel is just shining and focusing on these things and saying, listen, Think about the things that are true. Think about the things uh, that are honorable, just, pure. And then he goes on, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So we're stewards of our mind. We're stewards of our, of our, our thoughts. We don't have the right to just think about whatever we want to and feed ourselves whatever we want to and, and enjoy that for a season. You know, the, Sin's pleasurable for a while. But yet we're stewards of that. And God, through Jesus' light of the world, wants to illuminate those areas that often we don't see of other people. These aren't things that are, that are on display. These aren't clothes that we put on. They're, they're inward. They're often hidden from some of our even closest friends. But Jesus wants to illuminate that part of your world. Also your body, 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 20. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is has joined a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body, and, and thank God, in, in the, it's the light of the world, he uses his word, and again, he's, he's just exposing darkness. And he says, you know, you may fool yourself for a little bit to think that this is an okay path, and you may justify this somehow in your mind, but I'm, but I'm telling you that you're sinning against your own body when you do that. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have, whom you have from God, you are not your own. That's the idea of being stewards. You're not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We're also stewards just in a general way of of every area of our life. Not just our mind, our thoughts. Not just our body physically. But every area of our life. 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. In a very simple statement, this goes against the idea that we can... Uh, kind of put our life in in compartments you know this is my this is my leisure compartment you know this is my movie compartment this is my spiritual compartment this is my family no Christ as he's working in us and as the Holy Spirit lives within us should penetrate and influence and affect every area of our life so that before the Lord I can say whatever I do Whatever I watch, whatever I think, whatever I enjoy, whatever I I put my mind to and my body to and my hands to, may it please and may it bring glory to God. In Matthew, we see this, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Then verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And I, want, I, I, I plead with you because I've seen this happen too often. The longer that you allow those spiritual dark areas of your life to remain hidden, to remain secret, your flesh and my flesh and Satan are going to have a heyday. And those areas are going to get get just more corrupt and corrupt, and we're going to do even more and more to try to hide and cover up and justify, and we're going to live this double life, and we're going to be miserable. And in the end, it doesn't please Christ at all, and usually will destroy us if we don't allow the Lord to reveal that darkness and expose the darkness. It's not fun. But, oh, how much better it is to come now, today, and say, I need help. We all are sinners, so we we can't hide from anybody that we have temptations, and the fact that Jesus Christ had to die on the cross for my sins means that I'm a pretty bad sinner, and you're a pretty bad sinner. I won't say amen to that, to my own statement. (laughs) We're all sinners, but yet sometimes we want to, you know, we kind of want to keep this like, well, you know, I'm pretty good. May God expose the dark areas of my life sooner than later. Because eventually, as I hide and as I hide it, as I, that area is just going to grow and fester and fester. And then it's going to really contaminate, hinder the cause of Christ and my own life. And usually, almost without fail, it will involve and affect so many other people than we ever imagined before. I plead with you, let the Lord to expose, allow the Lord to expose that. Secondly, your relationships with others should be grounded in your relationship with Christ. Again, God, through his word and as the light of the world, shining light and says, even your relationships, this, I want to illuminate this for you. In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37, he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It was a blessing to me yesterday to hear the pastor who did the wedding ceremony for my nephew and his fiancee, Caitlin, so Bailey and Caitlin. But as he was doing the, the ceremony, he reminded them again: you two are getting married, but they're married, but there's a third person involved in this marriage, and it's Jesus Christ. And as and he challenged them, as you keep Jesus Christ first and foremost in your life, that's gonna bring you so much more blessing and joy and honor in your marriage. And that's the idea of the foundation here is we love Jesus with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Then all of our other relationships, if our vertical relationship is right with God, then our, then our horizontal relationships are gonna be right also. This should serve as a foundation. So one question I challenge you to ask, how would you finish this statement? My relationship with and then fill in the blank is the most important relationship to me how would you finish that my relationship with and then fill in the blank is the most important relationship to me you may initially you know without thinking okay what what kind of answer would pastor want me to put here your first reaction might be well you know my spouse it should be extremely important in a relationship with your spouse, but it shouldn't be most important. You may think, "Oh, my kids, my kids." I mean, we live for our kids. What would we not do for our kids? So you might put your kids' names there. It may be a best friend. It may be you know really close coworker. It may be somebody who has mentored you. But I want to challenge you: if you have anybody else's name there except Jesus Christ. You still have a little bit of spiritual darkness that you need to allow God's word to expose so that Jesus is first in your life. And if Jesus is first in your life, then your relationship with your spouse is going to be so much better. Your relationship with your children can be a lot better because he's first. Thirdly, your marriage is to be a reflection of Christ's love for his church. We won't read the passage for time, but Ephesians 5 is a classic an extremely important passage. It begins, most most times people don't begin with this verse, but it actually begins, I think, an important truth in verse 22 where it says, submit yourselves to one another. Then it talks about wives submitting to their husbands as unto the Lord. Often that's where it kind of starts. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands unto the Lord. Amen. But before that, it says we need to submit to each other To one another before the Lord. So as we follow the mind of Christ and the humility that He showed and the love that He showed, then the next part where wives submit yourselves to your husbands, asking the Lord, is going to be a whole lot easier if we're applying already the submitting to one another and and giving preference and love. But then husbands, we don't get off easy. It says. And in fact, you should love your wife as Christ loved the church, gave himself for it, and talks about a sacrificial love. And then he goes on the end of the passage and says, this is the mystery. And he, he refers to the mystery is of Christ and his church. So as I am the light of the world shines into my marriage relationship, and as I reflect that, then everybody else around me should be able to see this, David and Kim's marriage is different not because they were high school sweethearts, not because you know they went to high school together, not because uh, they, they do this or do that together, but they're different because Jesus Christ has made all the difference in the world. It's not about compatibility tests. In fact, when, I may have told you this, but in fact, a couple years ago, when we transitioned to a new mission agency as we came back stateside to plant this church, we did a, a, a personality test, and then some of the leaders there met with us And as we sat down around the table, they all kind of had a smirk as they looked at both of us. We didn't know these people very well at all, but they were kind of looking at us kind of like, (laughs) oh, this will be interesting. And and then soon they said, what kind of fireworks go off in your house between the two of you because your personalities are like not compatible? (laughs) And we said, you know... Honestly, I mean, we, we have a pretty good relationship, and we, we don't fight much. Yes, we have differences, and there's difference of opinions, but we, we really don't fight that much. And, and they kind of looked at us like, really? Because, because your, your personalities just, just don't match. It's, it's the Lord. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not because we got together and we did all these compatibility tests and like, okay, I think we can make it. Let's live together for a while and see if, you know, kind of do a trial. No, it's Jesus Christ. That is the answer. It's the answer for two believers who are dating and feel that God wants them to get married. It's the answer for two believers who have been married and wonder, can we make it? Yes, you can. And you can enjoy it. God can change your life and your relationship and mold you and mold, mold both, of, both of you to reflect the love that Christ has for his church. That's the light of the gospel shining into your marriage. Lastly, and there's so many other areas, but the last one I want to touch on as far as relationships, your children are to be valued as gifts from the Lord and trained as arrows for the Lord. Psalm 127, to behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior or the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates. Often, children are not considered to be a huge blessing. But parents, those of you that, that have children and God's chosen you or given you that, that responsibility. Allow the light of the gospel and Jesus' is the light of the world to shine into that relationship and don't allow the spiritual darkness to taint your understanding and look at your kids as, you need to make me look good, and you better study hard because you're going to take care of me later in life, <laughs> so you're my chance, man, lady. No, they're a heritage They're a gift. Yeah, it's difficult. There's some tough nights and long, long seasons even sometimes, but they're a heritage we're to train them as arrows, it says, to shoot them out as a soldier would. Not just to kind of hover them near us all the time and, and to fulfill our needs. That's spiritual darkness. The light is, God, help me to train them for you. Help them to be arrows for your glory. Let's finish up. How are you to be the light of the world? How are you to be to the light of the world? Allow the light of the world to penetrate the spiritual darkness in your life. We've already touched on this a little bit, but this, this next passage of Hebrews 4 is, could not be clear. For the word of the God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In a physical sense, we understand that x-rays and MRIs and CAT scans are awesome tools that medical professionals can use to to visualize things that aren't quite so obvious at first sight. And we appreciate those things. We or our insurance companies pay a lot of money for those things, right? God's word, and Jesus is the light of the world, is is so so much more significant as a spiritual x-ray. And in Hebrews 4 it says, "You you can't hide anything you can't, like, keep this dark area of your life. No, it says, I'll, I'll penetrate that. But not only will I expose all of those dark areas that may not, be visual, may, may not be visible to everybody else around you, but the light of the gospel, James calls it the mirror, the perfect law of liberty. Those things, I'm going to expose that. But, man, what a blessing. Then right in that passage it says, but thank God we don't have a high priest who doesn't understand our weaknesses because, in fact, he's been tempted in every area like we have, but without sin. And then the call is made, come with boldness to the throne of grace for help in time of need. Why wouldn't we allow Christ to to expose that then? Why wouldn't we allow and invite Christ to do that? He knows already. It's not like we're keeping a secret from him. So we should invite that. God, yes, please show me through your word and use other believers, in fact, and under the preaching of your word and my personal time with you, use these things to expose the spiritual dark areas of my life. Allow other believers to kind of help us to see the blind spots so that we may not dwell and allow those things to grow further. Secondly, walk in the light to please Christ and fulfill his will. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, therefore be imitators of God. Again, this goes back to, call, to following God. It's a, a call to follow him. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Ephesians 5, 8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are what? You're light. At one time you were darkness, but now you're light. Unfortunately, so many who, who are, are believers or who profess to believers, they were at one time in darkness, and it seems like they're okay to continue to live in darkness. But the passage is saying, you were in darkness, but now you're not. Positionally, factually, you're not in darkness anymore. And so then it goes, then it goes on, walk as children of light. This is your new identity. Don't go back to that. Don't continue to enjoy that. Don't celebrate that. That's what you used to be, but in Christ you are your children of the light. So walk that way, live that way, produce fruit of the light. Ephesians chapter five verses nine and ten. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. In growth groups, you're going to explore that passage a little bit more. Expose the works of darkness. Ephesians five eleven and twelve. Take no part. In the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. This passage doesn't say, enjoy a little bit. You know, it's okay if you just enjoy a little bit of corruption, a little bit of sin, celebrate a little bit of what the world enjoys. It says, no, take no part. Period. Don't, Don't enter into this. Don't see, you know, how far you can go without like really getting messed up. My brother runs a nonprofit ministry for men, Man Up, in Austin, Texas. And I, I wrote, his, one of the guys that just recently came on staff with him took me to the airport. His name is Mark. He's been in ministry for several decades. Um, and he told me, he said, Unfortunately, many of the men that we minister have done a, uh, to have done a great job at imploding their lives. And once we meet them, we're working through all kinds of things. Because unfortunately, many of them didn't expose the works of darkness. They celebrated, they enjoyed it, they, they went further and further and further until finally, they're thank God, in His offer of restoration, they finally. Many of them are saying, "We need help. We're at the end of our rope. We've lost our family, our job, our health, and this and this. We're at the end of our rope. How can we be helped?" Lastly, reflect the light of the world to those around you. Reflect the light of the world to those around you. Let's for time. Let's skip skip over John the Baptist. Um, John, you can forgive us. Uh, John, skip over him. Let's look in Matthew chapter five, verses fourteen and sixteen. All believers have this calling. All believers, Matthew chapter five, verses fourteen and through sixteen. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. As I was studying through this passage again, one one image in one area immediately came to mind, and it should be the next the next slide. Anybody recognize this? Marco shook his head. What is it? Rio, Rio de Janeiro. Christ Redeemer statue. Um, it's on the Mount Corcovado in Tijuca National Park. And several years ago, we had an opportunity to, to meet a missions team that their flight had been canceled to Sao Paulo, so they had to fly to Rio. We met them in Rio and were able to, to go up and see Christ's Redeemer. But notice, it stands over, the statue stands over the city of Rio. Now, ironically probably one of the most sinful cities in the world, right? So it's not, just the, it's not just knowing about, yeah, Christ existed, but again, it's to follow him, it's to really believe in him. But as the Christ Redeemer statue stands there, all throughout the day, it can be seen. At night, because it's lit up, it can be seen from most areas of the city of Rio de Janeiro. And what a vivid picture of As a reflection, as a follower, as an imitator of God, may God use me to not dim the lights down of my spiritual testimony, to not kind of try to fly under the radar, but students especially, as you begin this fall, as you go back to classes, some of you, August 1st, 2nd, others, you know, towards the end of August, I pray and I challenge you to go back and immediately establish your position as I am a follower, a passionate follower of Jesus Christ and I'm not embarrassed. Not embarrassed. Oh, man, that wouldn't be too cool, pastor. Well, it's not too cool when you follow the spiritual darkness and then destroy your life. That's not cool either. I guarantee it. So initially, right away, say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed. I want others to, to see that. Why? So that they may see the works and glorify God in heaven, not me. So as we close, you may ask, well, how do I, how do I practically show that I'm the light of the world? And that I reflect Jesus as the light of the world well I'm going to be honest I'll just be an honest person okay there are many unbelievers who are pretty honest I'm going to be a hard worker I'm you know in my in my ball team man I'm going to just work hard and I'm going to stay after practice and I'm to, as a student I'm going to get straight A's if I can I'm going to be a hard worker at work I'm not going to you know cheat in my work and I'm going to be a hard worker that's great there are millions of unbelievers who are hard workers. The last verse I want to show you, last passage is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we have a very clear way of how we're to act as the light of the world and what our responsibility is. It says this in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 5. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. And I love this next phrase. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I was faced with this decision last night as I started the beginning with Sam Roth. Didn't even know his name initially. Because the thought came, even before he started, before I even kind of observed some things about him, the thought came was, man, this guy's close. We've made some eye contact. Maybe I should witness. I was like, no, but I'm getting ready for tomorrow. I'm getting ready about preaching about being the light of the world. I'm too busy to be the light of the world. I mean, come on, God, don't you know that? But the Holy Spirit is like, I put this guy here. And then even when we went to the different gate, and I talked to him a little bit, and I said, man, it's good to meet you. And I thought he'd kind of walk away to sit you know, in another seat. And I sat down at the table, and he kind of did this, and then kind of looked around and like, sat down at the same table with me. And I said, well, Lord, you can't make it any clearer. Thank you, and this is my chance, and I know that I need to follow you and obey. And I want to encourage you all, As well, as God gives you opportunity, be intentional. Say, God, help us to be the light of the world. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning?